Did you choose the music, Sherlock? <laughs> For sure, beauty. It's a nice song. <laughs> That sounds like it. Hey, we have Phil in here. Hey. Phil, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Not too bad, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Excited to be here. Right. Is that, just a quick check. Is that is Dana coming uh, to you? No, Dana had a family obligation this morning, so she couldn't come. Right, right. No problem, yeah. I, I think this is right uh, time to kick it off. So, um, welcome everyone to Founders Forum. Uh, as we know, the world begins a generational shift to cleaner source of energy. So, the demand for carbon credit has surged in recent years to offset carbon emissions, right? So, some of, some of the athletes know there's a major opportunity to create an open, trustless, and transparent carbon credit marketplace like for carbon in Web3. So today we are very honored to feel co-founder from Carbon Free Carbon, dive into Web3 uh, green consensus and the stories to share with others behind for carbon. Welcome, Phil. Hey, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Terrific, yeah. We also thank, have a- Thanks for joining us. Our <laughs> pleasure. We also have a share from Mason, who is very determined for building a greener digital world by blockchain. His goal is the cornerstone of this project. Thanks, Cheryl, for joining us. Thanks, Howard. Thanks for having me. Perfect, yeah. Uh, I'll be co-chairing this space with my colleague, Alex. And uh, right now, I'll kick off our talk today. And uh, the first question is for our for carbon guest, Phil. So we know tokenization, you know, is a carbon credit. It's supposed to boost the transparency for buyers and allows projects that provide this credit to be more easily raised capital. Did you hear me? No, sorry. Oh, again? Yes. Uh, that's a colleague from Arena, you know, from A16Z said that a tokenization is an obvious solution to help supply of the carbon offset keep up with the demand. So, uh, could you explain how carbon credits work generally and how you make them work at full carbon? Thank you. Yeah, so to start at the beginning, the life cycle of a carbon credit, carbon credits get created by people who go and do projects that either prevent carbon dioxide from being released into the atmosphere or that actually stirs carbon dioxide directly. So those projects are done. They're validated by a group of people, who, basically by a group of validators who go and actually look at the science. They go and you know do things like measure the number of trees and the size of the trees and actually calculate the exact amount of carbon dioxide that's being sequestered or prevented from being released into the atmosphere. And then they submit that to a group of standards who have method who have published open source methodologies for how this, these things get calculated, and those standards then issue carbon credits. And today, those carbon credits are issued into essentially a SQL database um, that is centrally controlled by these standards, and they basically serve as the registry for carbon credits, and you have to interact with them directly in order to do that. By bringing them on chain, what you do is you increase the access to the carbon credits by allowing a larger group of people to have access, to basically be able to interact with carbon credits, be able to retire carbon credits. And in theory, what that does is it creates more demand for carbon credits by opening up the access and also letting people transparently see what the carbon credits, that, what kind of carbon credits they're using. And so what that does is it creates um, price, upward price pressure on carbon credits. And if you just think about basic supply and demand economics, um, when you have price increase, you will actually see more supply come online. So by increasing the price, by increasing demand for carbon credits, you will increase the number of projects that become viable that can go and create more carbon credits. Great. Thanks for uh, you know, all this uh, 
you know, series behind the cloud of creative marketing. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll let you know the rest of the question by my colleague Alex. Yeah, cool. Hey everyone. Hey Phil. Thanks for, for joining us. Hey Sherlock. Um, so both of you guys, one of the things you have in common is that you're both creating marketplaces. So Phil Carbon is a carbon credit marketplace and Mesa Network is a, a marketplace for bandwidth. Um, Sherlock, I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit as a Meso Network founder, the uh, incentive for building a Web3 bandwidth marketplace and, and how it works. Okay, uh, thanks, Alex. So uh, let's answer the first part of why we build a Web3 bandwidth marketplace. So there are two problems existing for now. Uh, let's, let's look at the first is uh, we call it a sales model problem. So if we look at the world, uh, how the resources going to be used or aggregated by the like the uh, existing cloud service provider, they use the salesperson, those people, and the model is much like the top-down model. So human is very important. And due to the human model, so we, we have to say that if you are belong to the long-term market, it's hard for you to uh, be attached by the salesperson. And also if you have some underutilized resources, you can't be monetized for that part. So that's the first part, the, the sales model. The second part is about the asymmetry problem. Uh, when I was developing the, the POW mining pool, uh, we noticed, I, I noticed one thing that the POW actually solved the problem of electricity. So electricity, they, they are distributed all around the world, but the problem is uh, few of people can fully utilize the electricity and then the, the, in some area, there are lots of the rich electricity, but in other places, uh, people and the cities are extremely lack of electricity resources. So ele electricity has a symmetry problem, and then POW help the world to actually you can you can convert it, convert the, the uh, electricity to the currencies, right? And then the next part is bandwidth. The bandwidth also exists such problems. We call them the band symmetry problem. So we two problems. Uh, then we try to give a solution here. So if you rely on the human, right? If, if, if you know, for the past 10 to 20 years, uh, the model of the human works pretty well, but if you still rely on the human, you can make something, but you can make something really big, right? If you want to build something which can be much bigger than the Amazon or, or lots of giant tech giant right now, you need to try a different model. So for mission, we, we found the answer is we can use a protocol. And the protocol, we, we, with the help of protocol, we can build a standard and can expand all around the world. So people can join the marketplace by themselves. So the model has converted from the top down to the bottom up. So that's the first. The second is uh, how to store the instant info resources. Let's think about bandwidth. So bandwidth is quite like electricity. You know, it's uh, instant resources. So you can use it or, or you, you can let it waste it around the world, right? So for electricity, people use the battery to store these resources. But for bandwidth, well, we have no idea how to store the bandwidth, such infra-resources. And then our solution is, just like the work done by the POW, we can convert it to a currencies, right? So you, you can install the, you can store the bandwidth everywhere. You can like utilize your, your uh, fully utilize your bandwidth, but if you have some uh, idle area, you can just convert it to the token in, in our design, or what we call the currencies. So during that part, we have converged the energy or the bandwidth to another things, and then we can store it. So during that case, uh, when people have unused bandwidth, 
they can come to Mason to trade for token, and then they can earn something as reward. And then when people need a bandwidth, they can also come to Mason and then to use the resources. And then let's see what's the like uh, the pros behind that that uh, mechanism. So we don't need to explore how the infra comes from. Like we don't need to care. Okay, the resources come from like uh, data center, come from the uh, Google, from Cloudflare, or you are just uh, the, the manager of the telecom, right? We don't need to care about that. And what's the constitution for that part? And the second, we also don't need to restrict the border for the demand side, right? Who will need the bandwidth and who will need such info resources? I, I don't need to care about that, right? So for now, uh, just for all of my image, I, I can think, wow, the streaming media companies, they, they need the bandwidth. They need this info. For example, if you are just right now, where is in Twitter space? So Twitter need the bandwidth and YouTube need bandwidth. And TikTok need a bandwidth, but what's the future world need such things? I don't know what, what kind of applications there are, but it doesn't matter because we don't need to restrict border and we just open a platform for them to trade resources. So the two sides, the supply and demand, uh, if they have met, if you if they meet each other and they can they, they're both satisfied about the price, so they can be traded in our platform. So that's why uh reason offered a Web3 bandwidth marketplace. It's a marketplace. We, 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 we don't do the, the, the two sides, but we offer them a place and we help them to build the protocol, build a standard so they can be standardized and to trade each other. So this is us. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, awesome. I think the, the comparison you proof of work is, is really helpful for understanding because uh, I think people who are in the street, um, the first thing you usually come across when it comes to Web3 and crypto, you understand Bitcoin first, um, and proof of work, the consensus algorithm, then the fact that you can use idle electricity, and you guys are doing that for idle bandwidth um, at Mesa Network, and creating a marketplace where people can trade together. Uh, it's really awesome. Uh, can, can you guys hear me clearly? Your voice is a little bit down. Okay, I'll, I'll try to speak closer to the mic. Um, and yeah, let, let me know if you, if you can't hear me clearly again. Um, Phil, so at, at Flow Carbon, uh, you just explained that one of the things you guys are doing is creating upwards price pressure on carbon credits. Um, you guys have been quoted as saying that demand for carbon credits has surged in recent years among corporations that offset carbon emissions. Um, but the ability to scale the volume of carbon credits available has been limited by the voluntary market, carbon markets opaque and fracked infrastructure. Can, can you explain how you guys are overcoming the problem, how you guys are overcoming the opaqueness and the fracturedness of the, the infrastructure for carbon credits? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, demand, sure. so demand has definitely been spiking. Definitely been spiking. I'm sorry, I'm hearing an echo of myself, which is... Yeah, yeah, I hear that too. It's not a bad <laughs> um, Hopefully it's going away. Okay. Um, so... So demand has been, you've seen lots of new corporates come into the market and make net zero commitments. Um, you've seen prices in the last year triple um, from, you know, we, there were carbon credits, exact carbon credits that we bought, you know, a little over a year ago for about four or five dollars that are now trading at fifteen dollars. Um, and so you the prices have been going up largely because corporate demand continues to rise and anticipated corporate demand is continuing to rise. You know, a ton of new companies basically come out every day and say we're making net zero commitments. <clears throat> and the way that they make these net zero commitments usually is they basically create targets of when they're going to hit net zero, and then they can make commitments of their sort of reduction plan is going to be between now and then. And the goal, and ultimately, what they need to do is they need to reduce their carbon footprint. They need to emit less. And so, what they're 
hoping to do is make structural changes over time and then to offset the rest to buy carbon credits basically to counteract the balance of what they can't structurally change. And what increasing carbon credit prices does is it creates a flywheel effect where it becomes more economically viable for them to make the structural changes now or sooner because it's cheaper to make structural changes than buy carbon credits when carbon credit prices are high. And so one of the ways that the market infrastructure that we're building is going to make this more transparent and easy to use is one, just by allowing people to see exactly what price carbon credits have to actually put a clear price on carbon and, and put a clear price on carbon emissions. That will allow patients to make calculated decisions around when they're going to do reductions and make, make structural changes. And the higher the carbon prices go, the more that the more expensive carbon is, the sooner they'll make structural changes. So if you think about, let's take Amazon, for example, um, Amazon at some point will switch its fleet of delivery trucks over to electric vehicles. That's a very large capital expenditure. And so they may not change that over right away. And they may say, OK, that's something that we're going to buy offsets against. But if at some point it becomes cheaper to actually make to switch over to electric vehicles instead of buying carbon offsets, they're going to do that sooner rather than later if the price of carbon offsets is high. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> yeah. So many people that uh, they do not know yet. I, I mean, uh, Frogab has used a token called the Governance Nature Token (GNT). So it's quite just here. So GNT underlying carbon credits are pre-certified by industry group, including uh, Vera, Gold Standard, Climate Action Reserve, and the American Carbon. Registry. So, how do you determine the criteria on this industry group that certified GNT's carbon credits? Yeah, so <clears throat> we believe that there should be market solutions to these problems, and so the market sort of takes care of this for us. The market, the market being the large corporates who buy carbon credits, when they buy from these, where they look at these standards and these um, industry groups, right? These nonprofit organizations like Vera and Gold Standard, um, they look to them and say, okay, these are carbon that we are willing to buy. So that's what we look to and how we make the decisions. We make decisions based off of what the market acceptance is of carbon credits. And Vera and Gold Standard and CAR and ACR have been around for for a very long time and have reputations in the space for creating methodologies and creating ways to create carbon credits that is generally accepted by the market. Right. Thanks for explaining that. And also, I recall, uh, I mean, um, for carbon actually deployed, you know, new protocol on seller blockchain. Uh, and also they bought around like 10 million US dollar equivalent GMT at the very beginning. So uh, what's the decision made you to, to, to you know, deploy this um, seller? Yeah, so Celo um, to us is an incredibly mission aligned blockchain, um, a layer one blockchain. And so we wanted to initially launch our the token on some place where we thought that the ethos and the culture of the community um, would match what we're doing. And, you know, obviously functionality was, <clears throat> was extremely important. <clears throat> Excuse me. Celo is, a, you know, an EVM compatible chain. It's a proof of stake chain. And most importantly, though, it has baked into its core protocol that um, every epoch, basically, that block rewards used for secure, basically, emissions from the network are actually used to go out and buy carbon credits to make sure that the blockchain itself is actually carbon negative. So it's having a positive environmental impact by running this blockchain and by this blockchain being around. There's a positive environmental impact. Also, it was the Celo blockchain was founded sort of on the idea of building currencies that are backed by natural capital. And, you know, sort of how do you bring about a, a sea change in the way that we view value, what a valuable asset is for backing of a currency. 
And we think that's an incredibly strong mission and ethos. We also find that the team and community that's building and building on Cello is an incredibly wonderful, warm, welcoming community. Um, and there's no better place to build. Thanks, Dale. Thanks, Dale. Um, before I move on to the next question, I just want to come back to the question I asked before. I think we, we, we lost you, Phil, right? When we were talking about the, the opaqueness and the fractured market infrastructure that you guys are overcoming. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, the, 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 the biggest problem in the market infrastructure today is, is really around, sorry, there's an echo, I think that's gone now, yeah. Um, so the opaqueness, it really has to do with the fact that it's hard to see what the transparent fair price for a carbon credit is because the carbon credit market is fractured. It's largely traded OTC, not traded on exchanges. So that means that it's traded individually through brokers. So if you today want to, if you're a corporate today and you want to buy a carbon credit, you basically call a broker and say, great, can you tell me the prices for carbon credits? And they tell you the prices for the carbon credits that they have access to. You call another broker, they give you another set of prices for um, for maybe the same carbon credits, maybe different carbon credits. So the analogy I like to use to explain this is, if you were to walk into a supermarket to buy cereal and you saw on the shelf all a whole bunch of different cereals and every single box of cereal had a different price and then you were to walk into another supermarket and all those same boxes of cereal were there and they had different prices on them and so you had to go around and comparison shop in you know multiple supermarkets to get the best price on the, the box of cereal that you want to buy it's a very inefficient way of transacting so what we're doing by bringing this on on chain and building a deep liquid market on chain with some level of standardization is making price discovery transparent and accessible to everyone so that when a, when a project developer who creates carbon credit or a corporate that wants to buy carbon credits um, goes to buy or sell the carbon credits, they know exactly what the current prices of the carbon credits they want to buy based off of just publicly available information. They can sell and get access to the liquidity in the system very easily. You know, one of the other big problems um, in the system today is the amount of time it takes for a transaction to settle. So if you are, let's say you're a product developer, you just got issued a million carbon credits and you want to sell them and you actually need that money to go and fund the long-term operations of, let's say, the forest that you're preserving, when you go to sell your carbon credits, you're entering into bilateral or trilateral agreements, usually via brokers, to go and sell those carbon credits. And it can take anywhere from weeks to months for that trade to settle, meaning from the time you want to go and sell your carbon credits to the time you get cash in your bank account to go and continue doing the work that you're doing, it can be a very, very long time. In a blockchain solution, that it gets basically brought down to you know minutes or days, not weeks or months. Well, have we seen a limited supply of, of high-quality carbon credits until, like, th th there's a gap which you guys are filling? What, what, why has that gap been there until now? I mean, so it's, yeah, um, the gap exists largely because, it's ex one, it takes time for these projects to be done. It's expensive to do them. And <clears throat> up until very up until very recently, the market for carbon credits has not been particularly robust. And so what's happening now is as the market becomes more robust and you can see what is happening with the price and understand it, more projects are coming online. So right now it's hard to go, if, if I'm someone who wants to go and plant a forest, right, it's gonna take years to plant that for that forest to grow, for, the, for those trees to then capture carbon and for those carbon credits to then be issued, right? And the only way that I'm gonna do that at scale is because of 
a capitalist system that's financing that. To date, it's all been done by philanthropy dollars or largely done by philanthropy dollars. And so <clears throat> what ends up happening is, is those projects get done on one-off basis because someone wants to, you know, you go and raise money as a, as a charitable donation. But if you build a better capitalist system around this where you actually have an increasing price on carbon, what you end up seeing is more and more projects starting because and more and more projects being able to get financing because the price of carbon is transparent and you can actually see and define the risk um, associated with financing a project. Awesome. Are, are there any carbon capturing projects that you're particularly excited about? Some that you've worked with or some ideas you've had regarding that? Uh, so, so yeah, we're building market infrastructure. So there are lots of carbon projects that we're excited about. I think that, you know, all over um, the globe, there are really some really great projects going on in Indonesia, in Brazil, in Mexico. Um, and there's lots of new projects coming online, but we're focused right now on building infrastructure that will allow people to access all of these projects and not trying to like pick favorites and actually trying to create a level of standardization so that once a project is done, as long as it meets certain criteria, um, <clears throat> you don't need to do the project level diligence that's existed in the past. So right now, a lot of people who buy carbon credits have to do a tremendous amount of work to validate that the carbon credits that they're using meet their standards. We're hoping to basically, by building this really strong infrastructure stack, allow that to be abstracted out into the infrastructure so that you can just go and buy a transparent, freely trading token that meets your criteria without having to do the project level diligence. Right. Awesome. Um, one of the things that you, you guys have stated at Flow Carbon is that your initial focus is on improving the capital markets for nature-based projects, but the scope of Flow Carbon is not limited to that. Uh, how would you explain the, the scope of the project? Yeah, so the scope yeah. of the project is really about carbon credits um, at large. So all carbon credits that can and should be created, we want to have a market infrastructure for. We're starting with nature-based because it is one of the most easily accessible and scalable solutions that we can do right now. Um, and we know that the research basically shows that about 30% of the solution to climate change can come from um, nature-based projects, that these, these natural carbon sinks that exist today or can be restored um, really create not only carbon solutions, but also they create great biodiversity solutions that are really important to the long-term health of the planet. That being said, um, we are super excited about what's going to happen with direct air capture, but that's several years away from there being any sort of scalable solutions in direct air capture where there's large enough amounts of credits to create a liquid market for. Right. Well, one of the things you said in terms of the criteria is you said that you're letting, letting the, the open market do that for you. So are you seeing uh, which ones, which organizations have the most users or the most they're the most trusted amongst the market or what is it how, how do you guys do the, the diligence how's the what, how does the due diligence process work in terms of onboarding projects um yeah so we look at sort of the accepted market basically the, the people who have been doing diligence in this space which is a lot of large corporates and the voluntary carbon market has existed for over 20 years so there are the organizations like gold standard and vera have been around for a relatively long time and have been market accepted for a relatively long time the i think the question that you're driving at is when new sort of stations come on how are they going to be vetted um and how new organizations that are creating carbon credits and, and what's the vetting process for them going to be like it's largely going to be a market recognized solution that comes to bear so you're going to see new standards come in and if um so like you've seen this with regen for example regen is essentially a new uh issuing body for carbon credits and Regen has been validated by the market because the likes of Microsoft buy their credits. And Microsoft has very high standards for the credits that it buys. 
And so that sort of market signal is what gives you market acceptance. It says, okay, great, this is a solution that we believe the market is accepting and the market is working for it. But it takes a lot of research on the back end as well by um, essentially scientists um, and researchers to understand that if a new methodology is being used, how does that methodology work and how is it created um, versus what is also being done where you're taking existing methodologies and just making them more efficient and transparent in terms of the data that's being put into them and bringing that data on chain as well. Awesome. You mentioned that the carbon credit industries existed for, for 20 years, so there's some established players, uh, but the tokenization of carbon credits is relatively new. H how do you make, how do you help make that, that transition from the traditional carbon credit market to the tokenized version? How do you convince the people of the legitimacy and uh, a new way of doing things? Yeah, uh, it's a great question uh, we, that we spent a lot of time on. And so it, it's a lot of education, um, educating people, educating market participants about blockchain, um, educating them about how blockchain basically increases transparency and can increase trust by verifying that, you know, for example, that when you retire a carbon credit, that you're the only one to have retired that carbon credit by giving you on-chain, um, you know, mathematical proof, essentially, that you have done that. Um, and it just it's going to take some time to get all of the participants to understand that. But I think that what's going to actually convince people is that if we can create a good market on chain, that is going to make it easier to trade carbon credits. And so if it becomes easier to the, the solution to everything in blockchain about how do you get adoption in blockchain is you just make it the easiest place to do whatever it is that you want to do. And that ultimately is what brings users. That's true in Web 1, Web 2 and Web 3. As long as it's the easiest solution and you have a real use case, the users will come. And so the use case for uh, carbon credits in Web3 that is really fundamentally important is faster settlement time, more access, and deeper liquidity. And so if we can build a market that has deeper liquidity and has greater access and greater transparency and settles faster, people will come and use the system because it's just going to be easier to do it than going through the current um, legacy system of buying and selling carbon credits. And so where we think that there's an, an opportunity for people who, individuals who want to get involved and help this system transition to a Web3 solution, liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. Everyone can help by buying carbon credits, being a liquidity provider, and helping to build a very deep liquid market for carbon credits, because that will transition the off-chain carbon market to an on-chain carbon market very quickly. What are we, what kind of stage are we at now in, in terms of the transition? So you mentioned that we need faster settlement time, making it the easiest place, making blockchain the easiest place to trade carbon credits. So faster settlement time, greater access, deeper liquidity. What, what stage are we at now in terms of the transition from, from off-chain to on-chain credit? Uh, uh, we're, we're very early. Um, we're basically at the stage where I don't want to say we're pre-product because there are, there are several uh, solutions out there that are, that are doing this. Um, and so we're in the like the very early innings of this, but it's gonna, it, it has the possibility of um, basically going very fast once all these systems are launched. So once the, the you know GNT token and the next bundle token and the next bundle token that we're creating come on chain and we build the liquidity, it has the possibility of moving in you know a matter of you know, I don't know, a, a few months to being you know the solution that everyone is paying attention to. When you you can see sort of the validation for this when. Um, Klima and Toucan first launched, the carbon markets responded within a few days, within a couple of weeks, they responded and BCT basically became a reference price for the lowest quality carbon credits that were available, but it became the reference price for it. Everyone was trade, everyone moved their, their off-chain trading pricing to reference BCT pricing. And so creating additional bundles and creating additional standardized um, packages of carbon 
on chain with with a liquid known price will have an effect on the off chain market. And over time, the system that we've designed at Flow Carbon to create a two way bridge where the credits can move on chain and off chain should actually speed up the transition for off-chain trading to move on-chain by letting people come in and have take advantage of arbitrage opportunities and take advantage of um, demand that's being created on-chain very quickly. Awesome. You mentioned Klima, you mentioned Token. Um, there's a few other projects, Ridge and Moss, that are working on crypto-based credit solutions. Where do you see yourself fitting in the carbon, the blockchain carbon credit ecosystem? Where, where does your competitive advantage lie and how do you differentiate yourself? Yeah, so we've yes. built our product from day one to address the needs of the corporate market. Um, and we so we've spent a tremendous amount of time and resources building a protocol and a legal structure and an accounting and tax structure that works for large corporates to use on-chain markets and to use on-chain markets to access products that they need. And so the, the big difference from, for us is the infrastructure we've created. We The protocol that we've created is a two-way bridge that allows anyone who has carbon credits today to tokenize those carbon credits, and then for them to be placed into bundles that allow for deep liquid trading. But it also allows them for them to take that those carbon credits back off chain. To date, the solutions that have been brought on chain for carbon credits have all essentially been one-way bridges. Um, and those one-ways basically um, don't allow for total price efficiency to be um, created and for true price discovery to happen because it's, you can only go in one direction on chain. And if the on-chain market for some reason falls off, like just in general, like crypto markets are very susceptible to, to high volatility because of the number of speculators in the market in general, like across all cryptocurrencies, people, and sometimes when there are, are massive sell-offs, everything gets sold off instantly. And even though the crypto market, the tokenized carbon markets shouldn't be affected by general changes in the price of, for example, Ethereum, it is, it does happen um, because people just sell things off. And if there's no mechanism to bring the price back up, because it's not a two-way bridge, you see the price sitting and staying below off-chain market prices. Awesome. Thanks, Leo. Thanks, 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 Alex. Sorry, little echo here. So actually, you know, I just recall what you said about, uh, you know, the biggest difference between you guys and the Klima and the token. And you mentioned that uh, the biggest difference will be your two-way bridges, right? The infra is quite different. So I just wanted to check here. So is this kind of infra, uh, have you ever considered to open this to others, to other players in the crypto? In this, uh, you know, if they wanted to contribute to something, for example, like a project, it could be something in the carbon, uh, you know, uh, emissions reducing work. So I don't know if I followed the question exactly, but the whole design of what we built is to be a completely open protocol that anyone can use um, as if they right. have carbon credits. And then that's to create the tokens, to create the tokens. If you have existing carbon credits, anyone should be able to use the system. And then once the system, once the bundles are created and the car carbon credits are in bundles, that is a totally permissionless system as to who can use them. And so you, anyone, any on-chain protocol, any developer, anyone doing anything on-chain can build, use um, the bundles as a primitive in anything they want to do. So protocols that want to offset or build um, methods for offsetting or methods for buying carbon credits, methods for storing carbon credits. NFT projects can build on top of this and, and build it into um, their minting prices that they offset directly as they mint. And, and, and all sorts of other creative ideas can be unlocked once these primitives are on-chain and fully functional that anyone can build on top of. Awesome, awesome. But also, and regarding what you just mentioned a lot of times about, you know, a lot of corporation, the carbon uh, duty or, you know, uh, business purpose. So what's your idea? What's your view behind, you know, like the long-tail market? So, and also, how what's your uh, experience or what's your uh, measures actually taking to bring 
uh, like helping create you know more off chain carbon trader to on chain. Is there any like specific uh, solutions you guys use? So I think that there's a, a lot of interest by the off-chain trading community to move on-chain because they, they view it as a more efficient way to help the market scale. And if they see the opportunity to create markets and build arbitrage opportunities on-chain, I think they're going to move there just like they would move to any trading venue that presented itself as an opportunity for them to do the business that they're in more efficiently. Um, in terms of the long tail, we, we actually think that tokenized carbon credits actually unlocks the long tail mostly because right now buying carbon credits is a long and complicated and expensive process for a corporate to engage in. It just takes time and effort to go in diligence projects, to talk to brokers, to try and figure out if you're getting a, the best price. And so a lot of you know large corporates dedicate a, a, a team to buying carbon offsets. Small and medium-sized companies don't have the resources to dedicate a team to buying. So for them, the ability to do it transparently and easily on chain inside of a bundle is actually going to hopefully increase the number of entities that are using carbon offsets um, as a way of reducing emissions. Perfect. Thank you so much for you. I'll uh, allow you to drink some water. So next question for Shimon. At a Mason Network, you came out with a proposal uh, acknowledging you know, the necessary data centers which consume energy and are expected to increase our consumption and demand for digital service growth, right? So observing the need to decrease energy consumption to combat the climate change, in response, you build a protocol based on data center carbon credits. We call it the DCCC. So would you elaborate on how to make them work in this protocol? Uh, for sure, Howard. So yeah, actually, we had delivered uh, an article last year, end of last year, and to uh, describe the, our idea to designing the data center carbon credit, also DCCC. So let me at first to uh, show you some background. A few people know how data center uh, uh, played a role in our real world. And let's give you some numbers. In 2018, so data centers has used an uh, estimated 200 terawatt hours TWH. So 200 is a number in 2018. And it has been more than the national uh, energy consumption of some countries such as like iron. And also it has uh, half of the global transportation electricity consumption. And also it's already 1% uh, of the global electricity demand. So that's the first and things happening in 2018. You know, right now we are, we are uh, after the COVID and people have spent more time uh, work and enjoy an entertainment online. So uh, the center has been more expanded. So second is, you know, right now we are in the 4G area and more 5G uh, stations was uh, uh, dis distributed all around the world. So we already entered a new area, we can call them the streaming media area. And more like digital services is, uh, are deployed uh, in our daily life. So, which means we need to build more data center uh, all around the world to support our activities. That's the second. So third, right now, so people, uh, for example, the EV is most popular part. So people focus on uh, the data center applied in EV area. And also we're very happy to see like Phil, he, uh, they are building the, the flow carbon to uh, offer a much more general carbon credits you know, to offset our like carbon uh, emissions. But we still have a few ideas about designing the data center carbon area. So. You know, data center, though, uh, it's it's 1% of the global electricity uh, consumption, but we believe in the future it's going to be used around to 3 to 5% of the uh, global electricity demand. And during that part, we need to think about can we make the uh, 
the, the carbon emission made by the data center much more sustainable? And can we find any protocol as standard to uh, restrict some like uh, out of date technology to support the center? So this is missing how, how our ideas come from. We think, okay, even though right now no one build a standard for the center, but we are in this space, so we can do something, right? And our push, our, our, our problem, the problem here existed uh, comes with two parts. The first, we call them the PoE, the power usage effectiveness. Actually, it's uh, very standard and also be uh, globally admitted. Uh, uh, it's just uh, a standard to measure how the effectiveness of your data center. So it would be defined as the total data center energy consumption and with the energy consumption of IT equipment. So few people know that in the data center, you have lots of heat wasted and you need to have a much more like a better cooling system so that you can recycle the wasted heat and you can be uh, save lots of energies. But for the past 10 to 20 years, we have built a data center with a very out-of-date cooling system like we use air, right? We use even like air conditional to, to cool our uh, data center. But right now we have tried some like mixed way and in the future maybe we can put them into the liquid to, to cool the whole system. So that's the first, it's called PoE problem. The second is called utilization. Uh, you know, data center is very tricky. So if you live in a city, for example, if you are living in, in LA and you are enter the internet uh, through the base station, through your home internet. But the point is all of these data are gonna be handled in a data center. And if the data center is, for example, like 1000 miles away, well, you will uh, have a lot of un uh, adorable latency and then if the data center is very close to your home, well, data center is very, a very huge box and it will uh, take lots of lands. It will have lots of noise. So when people build a data center, they need to build in a, in a middle-sized way. It can be too close to the city, but they also can not be too far away from the city. And with this architecture, you need to ensure that this data center is uh, much more science, science architecture and also they can be uh, fully, fully, fully utilized by the local people. But the truth is, you know, in some very big city, like like we can say, if you are in New York City, uh, the people got used very frequently of the internet and they will have very heavy of using the data center. But if you are in the middle size or you are in some like other cities, well, the data center offered to this place is, in most of the time, they, they, they are spare, right? So the second parameter just come, you, we can call them utilization. And then our solutions here is, if you uh, take these two, like we could call them the factors uh, into consideration, you will have two choice. The first is called PoE. You have high PoE and you have low PoE. And second is utilization. You have high utilization and you have low utilization. So it's just like something just like happening in the EV area. If you have the high utilization, if also you have the high PoE. High PoE means uh, you waste lots of energy. So you need to buy our DCCC from the market to offset your carbon emissions. That's the first, right? And then if you have high utilization and you have low PoE, then it's okay. Nothing happened. And let's see if you have low utilization. And then if you have high PoE, then you can contribute your idle or your spare resources to get the triple C with, to offset your, for example, you can call it even like some tax or anything else, right? And then if you are, have a low utilization and you have low PoE, then you can contribute other resources and sell your distributable for profit, just like the things happening in Tesla. So 
when 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 you know when when these guys they they made the Tesla, they, they don't know. Okay, in ten or twenty years from now, oh wow, someone said okay, you will have a, a carbon credit for EV, and some people who who want to uh, manufacture the oil car, they need to buy the carbon credit. They they have the quota, right? So. Elon Musk, the Tesla, they can sell their uh, carbon quota to earn money. They, they have earned seven hundred million dollars per year just to sell their carbon credit. So same thing is going to happen in the same area. So if you have the machine and you have the low QE and you have a low utilization, you can directly earn money for that. And that's we call them the data center carbon credit. And also in the future, uh, we need to take one thing inside. It's called the energy structure supplied to the data center. So no, it's it's a very hard problem. Uh, how the energy structure uh, being used. For example, you are using the sustainable energy, you are using the like, uh, the, the out-of-date will be restricted in, in 20 or 30 years later. But for now, uh, we don't have the way to restrict uh, the, the place, to restrict the land, to restrict how the energy is going to be transferred into the center. But in the future, if the government or if some policy maker, they, they think, well, we need a much more sustainable way, they can give a policy to restrict this, right? So. The very hard problem is uh, for the carbon credit, very specifically for the data center area, you have two ways to solve the problem. The first is called top-down. Top-down is like you need some uh, governor, you need some like policy to uh, very, very strongly to abandon something and to encourage something, right? So if you have uh, breached some like your, uh, your, your restrictions, you need to uh, pay the money for that. And then second model is called uh, bottom-up. Bottom-up is much like a marketing way, right? So it's just like things we are offering because Mission is offering the bandwidth marketplace. So most of our bandwidth come to the center. And then in our uh, market area, we can offer uh, the carbon credits into our system. So we said, okay, we, we have our one factor called carbon credit. Maybe they're offered by the flow carbon or made by other entities. And then if you if you have fulfilled the requirements for the uh, common credit, you're gonna have a discount in the missing exchanges, right? So that's the way we can help the world to to make it much better. Cause uh, you can use the market hands to help world to uh, restrict the out of date data center and to make encourage people to use more clean, more green uh, energy and resources from the data center. So this is my answer. Thanks. Thanks, Charlotte. You know, actually, actually, a lot of people do not understand how data centers, you know, runs, and uh, you know how much energy actually, you know, data centers consumes annually is quite huge. You know, the entire global ICT information communication technology industry consumes massive energy, and a lot of them being wasted actually. So, I mean, thanks for explaining how exactly you know this uh, DCCC protocol helps you know the data centers to improve the technology, and uh, we can see here. There's uh, probably a lot of chance we could explore how you know this uh, bandwidth exchange marketplace to improve the, the data centers, you know, efficiency as well. And uh, yeah, I'll leave the, the, the next question to Alex. Yeah. Cool. Well, one one of the things I want to ask about is um, it's a debate that's related to the proposal you're just explaining, Sherlock, which is and it's related still to what you guys are doing also, um, which is that who, who should be responsible for paying? for carbon emissions, should it be on the supply side or is it on the demand side to pay for that? So for example, for airline passengers, is it the, the company, the airline that should pay for it or is it the, the passengers who should pay for the carbon emissions? Should the, the power plant that creates electricity pay for it or the electricity user? In the case of Bitcoin, should the miners be paying for the carbon emissions or those who use the network? 
Um, I'm wondering where both of you, Meso Network and, and Flow Carbon, stand on this debate. Phil, I'll start with you. It, it's a really great question. And ultimately, it would be amazing if it all came from the supply side. And so if, if all the Bitcoin miners were committed to offsetting and or using only green energy, um, if all the airlines would basically get into their pricing to just have things be offset, that's not the reality that we live in right now. And so ultimately, that's the easiest way to do it because the supply side is, is much more centralized than the demand side is. So it's easier to make that structural change um, and know that the, the, the market is moving in that direction and moving towards green energy um, and green practices. And it allows, if it's done at the supply side, it also allows consumers to make choices, right? If, if consumers have a choice between, um, you know, buying products that come from green, like, you know, carbon neutral supply chains versus buying products that don't come from carbon neutral supply chains, consumers can make those choices themselves, which will ultimately drive um, market, um, basically put market forces at play to put the companies that don't do that out of business if consumers are making those choices. In the On the crypto side, it's really difficult to do that because you can't dis differentiate between a green Bitcoin and a not green Bitcoin. And so it's really difficult to cause that um, normal market force to come into play on the supply side. Um, and so I think right now, across the board, everyone is looking at how can solutions to and how can we help to decarbonize the planet. And so while ultimately it would be amazing if everything came from the supply side, some of it should just needs right now to come from the demand side. And so this is a debate that you see all over the place, but it, it's helpful when the demand side says we're going to take responsibility for some of our usage that's causing this, even though the supply side ideally would do it, um, would be the ones to do the offsetting. So it, it really right now is just whoever we can get to take responsibility should be taking responsibility. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's quite uh, interesting. That's because, so, yeah, so, uh, yeah. I can show you two cases here. So the first is about Google. You know, uh, I talked with the data center carbon credit as well data centers. So the the uh, right now the Google the data center uh, built by the Google has already uh, realized the carbon offset, the carbon neutral. So they said, okay, uh, every electricity we use, every like resources we use, and every heat we wasted, we have already paid for it. Maybe they said, okay, I pay for money, or maybe I can pay for anything else. But they said that they re realized the uh, carbon neutral. That's the first in in, and then in, in general question. So. I think for the demand side, you need to look for from two sides, right? From for the demand demand side, uh, it's hard to make any rules for that. So my my opinion is, uh, voluntary encouragement is the main focus focus, right? And for supply side, we must have certain mental restraints, and it, it can it, it can be very specific and it can be executed. For example, if you want if you need to build something, you need to pay for that. And let's take car, uh, let's take crypto as an example. So. If you read the materials, you will know like the uh, Art Hayes, who is the co-founder of the BMAX, uh, he has wrote an article said, okay, they have paid everything for their uh, like production in, uh, about the Bitcoin. For example, they're running the BMAX exchanges, they're trading Bitcoin, they're, they're trading anything else. And then they said, we have we have to do the carbon neutral. I have paid for it, right? So if you look about the way we use crypto so for example you, we are using the ethereum we're using bitcoin we're using the system above them so the, the, uh according to that we are actually all the users for the crypto infrastructure and then it's, it's very hard for the world to make any rules that wow if you're using ethereum you need to pay for the you need to buy some common credit you need to offset that right the only thing we can do is we offer you a way like flow carbon 
so you can voluntarily to buy it by yourself and to offset anything. And this is already happening. And then who is the supply side for our crypto infra? Like the, the answer is very simple. The miners, for example, you are the Bitcoin miners use ASIC machines. You, if you are the Ethereum miners, you use the GPUs. And then how the how can the world charge for uh, their like actions to make the carbon neutral? Very easy. Uh, you, you can just define the electricity. For example, if their electricity is be used by the uh, ASIC machines to, to produce the Bitcoin to Ethereum to do the mining jobs, okay, you need to uh, pay for extra cost, or maybe we can call them the tax to do the carbon credits. So it should be the uh, mandatory constraints. And if you want to legally to run a crypto farm to do that, you need to pay for this. So that's my answer. Awesome. Right, thanks, Jerry. Uh, uh, everyone, if you have any questions for Phil, for Phil or Sherlock, you know, put your hand. And we all believe that, you know, the carbon market is going to be a huge potential market in the next couple of decades. And uh, so many projects, you know, so many people in Web3 are trying to encourage more people, you know, from off chain, carbon trading to. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Alex, you raise your hand. Yeah, you asked if anybody has questions, they should raise their hand. So I, I have a question, but you go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Ask ahead, questions yeah. already. <laughs> are, are you leaving me to ask the question? Oh, okay. Phil, um, I, was, I wanted to ask you more about the develop the carbon credit market. You mentioned one thing you said was that the, the prices had tripled. Was it in the space of two years? I, I didn't follow that exactly. I'm curious what you can tell us about the way it's developed and what your expectations are for the, the future of the carbon credit market in the next couple of years. Yeah. So in the, I would say basically in the last year, we've seen a, a, at least a tripling of price. Um, <clears throat> it's hard for me to speculate on exactly where prices are going to go, but generally speaking, the research <clears throat> that's been done about where the price of carbon needs to go in order for the voluntary carbon market, the offset market to be a, functional use case for really reducing greenhouse gas emissions globally says that carbon credits need to be at a hundred dollar price um, in order to do that. And that, that there's two pieces to that. One is, is that the nature-based solutions need to go up in price um, to reach sort of that hundred dollar price point, but also simultaneously the direct air capture devices that, and the credits coming out of direct air capture have to come down in price because right now they cost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars per credit. And that's because the technology is so new that the you know, unit cost to actually creating them is just incredibly high right now. Um, and that kind of needs to come down. That needs to scale in order for that to be a, an, you know, an actionable solution as well. Right. Thanks, Phil. So I actually got another you know, uh, quick question here. So because we know currently the global energy, you know, crisis, the gasoline and you know, the price really surge. So, and uh, have you guys um, started or already been in touch with the, you know, the different region or you know, countries' government about like the, you know country-level carbon trade uh, deal, something like that. Um, yeah, we definitely spend time thinking about that and uh, definitely starting to have conversations with <clears throat> all sorts of market players. I think that what's really interesting to look at is, um, for example, the project being done by the World Bank um, and Chia to create a global warehouse, data warehouse that will track at, the gov at, the, at, uh, at a global level the offsets and emissions from um, every country and allow countries to participate and have, you know, set targets and meet those targets. Cool, that's cool. Right. So, um, okay, not sure if anyone watching, but so, hello, all dear friend. 
uh, try to follow, you know, our friend Phil and, you know, from, okay, Alex, go ahead. I'm, I'm just sending some emojis, sending good vibes to everybody. Right. Okay. Okay. Thanks for attending this space, Phil. And uh, I encourage everyone to follow up with the, you know, uh, from Carbon Twitter to you know and understand what they're going to do in the next couple of uh, you know uh, months and how there's you know engagement in global carbon, uh, you know, emission market. So hopefully there's some more effort from not only project side but also individual side who can try to practice. You know the carbon trade on on chain. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Bill. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Everyone here is in the Austin for consensus right now. We have a workshop on Friday um, that we'd love for to invite everyone to join. If anyone's here, uh, you can go to flowcarbon.com/slash to sign up. Terrific. Yeah. We also hope there's a chance, you know, for you know, for carbon and Mason, we could, could you know uh, sit down to discuss is any you know integration because we. I think we, we quite, you know, match enough on the climate side. So we hope for you a chance we can explore to, to, to work, you know, uh, in excess state. Yeah. Would love to do that. Would love to do that. Are you going to be in Austin, Phil? I'm, I'm here right now. Um, and so tomorrow, if anyone wants to come to our workshop tomorrow, please do come to our workshop in Austin. Awesome. 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 Good show. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.